0: Section 19 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 4 by Henry Charles Lee. Book 8, Chapter 6, Part 3 Spheres of Action, Solicitation. While the Inquisition was thus aggressive in grasping exclusive jurisdiction, it hesitated for some time as to the vigorous use of its powers. It could evidently do little more than the inert episcopal courts unless it included solicitation in the Edicts of Faith, which specified offenses and the obligation of denouncing them, but this involved the ever-present dread of scandal. And the necessity of calling attention to a matter so delicate. This explains the initial fluctuations of policy. When jurisdiction was first conferred, the suprema ordered the omission of solicitation, and then by edict of July seventeenth, fifteen sixty two, that it should be included. This speedily brought forth a vigorous remonstrance, which earnestly urged the necessity of secrecy to prevent scandal and the rendering of confession odious it should never be admitted that such wickedness was possible it had in fact always existed but such a remedy had never been imagined which would lead men to keep their wives and daughters from the confessional nobles to refrain from putting their daughters into convents religion to be despised and christianity itself to be abhorred Good confessors would be driven to abandon the confessional, and the clergy, seeing that their weaknesses were to be punished by the Inquisition, would withdraw their support from it, leading to serious results. At least, the punishment should be secret, so that the people, seeing no results, might be led to believe that there were no wicked men administering the sacrament. This final suggestion was superfluous, for clerical offenders short of those incurring degradation and relaxation were always punished in secret the opposition to this public admission of clerical frailty grew so strong that the suprema in a carta accordada of may twenty two fifteen seventy one stated that after many discussions it had been decided that the disadvantages attendant on it required its omission and inquisitors were told to find some other means including notice to the ordinaries to instruct confessors to admonish penitents to denounce offenders to the holy office the exception thus made in favour of soliciting confessors evidently led to a marked diminution in the number of denunciations causing the suprema to hesitate for in a carta of september twenty fifteen seventy four repeating the orders to omit the suprema spoke of it as possibly a temporary regulation the conviction seems to have grown that in no other way could the abuse be checked and in a carta acordada of march two fifteen seventy six inquisitors were ordered to replace the clause in the edict of faith notwithstanding the publicity of the edict which imposed excommunication for failure to denounce the trials show that the most fertile source of denunciation was the refusal of confessors to absolve penitents who had been solicited unless they would accuse their guilty partners to the inquisition in spite of the assurance of secrecy women were naturally reluctant whether they had yielded or not to expose themselves to the necessity of reciting details more or less revolting and subjecting themselves at least to suspicion one feature which rendered this exposure peculiarly distressing was the necessity of ratification when all the foul or incriminating matter was rehearsed in the presence of two more men and as much of this testimony was taken on the spot by commissioners and notaries appointed ad hoc in small places where everything was known such revelations would only be made under the severest pressure again there was the enmity which was sure to be excited for in these cases the device of suppressing the names of witnesses was no protection against identification which was a risk not likely to be encountered especially when the culprit was a parish priest whose capacity for revenging himself was unlimited the inquisition sorrowfully admitted that even when it had one accusing witness corroborative evidence was almost impossible to obtain even where no direct enmity was excited the incidental troubles to which a denunciation might give rise are illustrated in the case of sor maria di Santarita, a nun twenty-nine years of age in the convent of la magdalena at alcalá de Genares in seventeen thirty seven during the absence of the regular confessor she confessed thrice a week for five weeks to maestro diego de Azumanes, pastor of alcala on her alluding to certain carnal temptations he pushed his inquiries to the furthest extent and then day after day he poured into her ears a flood of foul and indecent talk with personal applications to her and to himself in a manner most provocative of lust or disgust. The regular confessor on his return instructed her to report Azumanes to the Inquisition. In doing so, she unluckily mentioned that the superior of the house, Sor Teresa di San Bartolomé, a virgin with thirty-eight years of conventual experience, observing her repugnance to confess to Azumanes, told her not to mind him, it was true that he was too clear and explicit in discussing such matters leading to temporary excitement of the passions but she would soon overcome this the tribunal ordered a commissioner to examine sor maria and on receiving his report instructed him to interrogate sor teresa which he did with a directness that must have been excessively unpleasant and it is easy to conjecture how miserable must have been sor maria's subsequent life in the convent the tribunal it may be added did nothing except to ascertain that no other denunciations had been made against Azumanis. he was allowed to go on infecting the minds of his penitents with his obscenity until his death a few years afterwards in happy ignorance that any complaint had been made against him when there were so many reasons to deter women from denunciation it is easy to understand how small a proportion of the cases of solicitation reached the inquisition in sixteen ninety five fray luis aritio a recollect was accused to the tribunal of valencia by two women and on his trial he confessed to ten the most available means of overcoming this repugnance was to render denunciation a binding obligation on the woman. To effect this as far as possible, when, in 1571, the clause in the Edict of Faith was suspended, the Suprema issued an edict requiring confessors under pain of excommunication not to absolve penitents confessing to having been solicited unless they would promise to denounce the offender. It was admitted, however, that there were degrees of danger which would release the woman from the obligation, and casuists endeavored to define this with their usual acuteness and lack of unanimity. One learned writer about 1620 even laid down the general principle that natural law is superior to positive law, and the preservation of reputation belongs to the former, while the obligation to denounce belongs to the latter the roman inquisition in sixteen twenty three made a concession to this weakness by providing that when noble or modest women could not be induced to denounce there might be granted to their confessors faculties to absolve them on condition that when the cause of fear was removed they would fulfil the duty but this permission apparently was abused for in sixteen twenty six Inquisitors and bishops were warned to grant such faculties only when there were serious grounds. That danger was really sometimes incurred would appear from some fragmentary cases in the Valencia records. In one of these, a baffled confessor threatens his penitent with death if she betrays him. In another, a priest on finding himself denounced similarly threatens the confessor who had been the medium of denunciation unless he will write that the women had withdrawn their statements the spanish inquisition however made no allowances it was apparently to put an end to the refinements of casuistry that when in sixteen twenty nine it distributed to the tribunals the brief of gregory the fifteenth it granted to all inquisitors a faculty to punish confessors who taught that penitents were not obliged to denounce such solicitors to render this more effective in seventeen thirteen it ordered that all women bringing charges of solicitation should be interrogated whether any confessor had neglected to impose on them the obligation of denunciation and if so his name residence and all the circumstances were to be ascertained so that he could be called to account while the spanish inquisition was thus creditably rigid in exacting denunciations it was equally strict in construing the limits of the technical offence as defined in the papal decrees as stated above morals had nothing to do with the matter the business of the tribunals was not to prevent women from being ruined by their spiritual fathers but only to see that the sacrament of penitence was not profaned in such wise as to justify suspicion of the orthodoxy of the confessor in fifteen seventy seven inquisitors were warned that it did not suffice for prosecution that confessors had illicit relations with their penitents or that they solicited in the confessional when there really was no confession and in fifteen eighty it was expressly stated that they were not to be prosecuted if they said that they did not intend to have their penitents confess this covered assignations under pretext of confession to deceive onlookers which we are told was a frequent custom and as there were no confessional stalls and the churches were largely deserted there was little danger of interruption it was argued that there was no confession and no sacrament so there could be no heresy, but the Roman Inquisition, in 1614, decided it to be solicitation, and the brief of Gregory XV, in 1622, settled the question, although it required another brief of Urban Eighth in 1629, to render it authoritative in Spain. This involved the question as to the knowledge which either party might have of the other's intention opening the door to the endless refinements of antecedent or consequent invincible ignorance in which the casuists disported themselves even more dubious and fruitful of discussion was the question as to what constituted the solicitation itself about torpezas or physical indecencies there could be no rational doubt though even here the laxity of probabilism gave scope for arguing them away it is such things that usually meet us in the trials in a shape admitting of no debate but there was a wide range of less incriminating acts such as words of flattery and endearment praising the penitent's beauty or telling her that if he were a layman he would marry her theoretically what were known to the moralists as parvitas materiae trifles insufficient for animadversion were not admitted in solicitation pressing the hand touching the foot foul expressions and the like were admitted to be subjects for denunciation but the gradations of such advances are infinite and the elaborate discussions in some of the works on the subject are examples of perverted ingenuity apparently directed to teach libidinous priests how to gratify sensuality without incurring risk the question of lewd and filthy talk was an especially puzzling one for the confidences of the confessional presuppose a license on subjects usually forbidden between the sexes which may readily be abused by a brutal or foul-minded priest and it is impossible to frame a definition which in practice shall rigidly differentiate moral instruction from heedless pruriency or deliberate corruption how difficult it is to draw the line in such matters is indicated by a case before the valencia tribunal in 1786. a nun of the convent of santa clara in Hativa complained of the indecent and unnecessary questions repeatedly put to her in confession by the observantine fray Vicente Gonzalez. Under the advice of the definitor of the order, she empowered him to denounce Gonzalez to the Inquisition. Then the regular confessor of the convent pronounced that the questions were necessary and proper, and persuaded the definitor to write to the tribunal to that effect. End of section 19. Recording by Linda Johnson.